This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast, the best bits from November the 30th. We spoke to John Lyons a little earlier on. He's the MD of Espace Real Estate. Uh, he was talking about all things sustainability. Uh, why? Because obviously COP28 getting underway uh, here in the UAE today. Uh, also, given the fact that we have been broadcasting from uh, Abu Dhabi Finance th- Week throughout the week, we had a bit of a focus on the Abu Dhabi uh, market. And in fact, the market in general, in light of developments in the region, what's happening with the market? Is it still a buying market or have we seen a little bit of a lull? Matt Stanley also joined us another regular guest here on the show he's client liaison lead middle east africa and asia for kepler he was on talking about the opec plus meeting which ironically is taking place the same day as the opening of cop 28 joined live in studio by the gm uh, of the uae office of rain trading limited benjamin grolimund was one of the guests live for us down at abu dhabi finance week talking about regulation talking about their new licenses talking about the growth of certain sectors here in the finance industry in abu dhabi and katija hack who's the chief economist at Emirates MBD. She was on hand to give us a little bit of uh, an overview of what's happening over in the United States. They've had their GDP revised upwards. Is that a good thing? And also explained a little bit more about the beige book as well. All will be revealed shortly. That's all coming up right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. One of our top stories this morning um, is US GDP for Q3 being revised upwards to 5.2%. It's a revision of about four basis points. Uh, We've asked Katija this morning, what does it mean then for what the Fed might do next and then what that means for us? The U.S. economy grew faster than initially estimated in the third quarter, with growth revised up to 5.2% from 4.9% previously. This is much sharper than the 2.1% growth that we saw in the second quarter of the year. Consumer spending was actually revised lower, though, um, so that grew 3.6% rather than the 4% uh, that we saw in the first estimates. But this was offset by upward revisions to business investment, housing investment and government spending in the third quarter. On the inflation side, the core PCE price index, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, was also revised lower to 2.3% year-on-year in Q3 from 2.4% previously. So that's not far off the Fed's inflation target of 2%. The market has seemingly shrugged off the strong GDP data and is instead focusing on comments from some policymakers that rates have likely peaked. Um, So the market is now actually pricing an earlier rate cut from the Fed uh, in May rather than um, the June cut that was the first priced uh, about a week or so ago. We're still of the view that the Federal Reserve will probably remain more cautious and will really want to see Uh, inflation um, well on track to 2% before they look at easing monetary policy. So we don't think they'll be in a position to do that until the second half of next year. Adding into that, we got the beige book yesterday. We like the beige book. It's full of anic data. What is being seen in economic activity on the ground in the US? We asked Katija what it shows us. 
The Fed's Beige Book survey showed a slowing in economic activity in November compared to the previous report. Consumers were seemingly showing more price sensitivity in terms of their spending decisions, and firms also reported um, softening demand for labor because their outlook over the next six to 12 months has weakened. Wage pressures also appear to be easing as firms are reporting that there are more applicants available for jobs, although attracting those very highly skilled workers and retaining them is still uh, reportedly quite difficult. That's Khadija Hack, Chief Economist at Emirates MBD. You're going to have to explain that one to me. Sorry, it's a new one on me. The Beige Book? Yeah. Okay, so uh, the Fed has made up, has a lot of representatives from across the country, right? Yeah. Uh, heads of different different um, uh, reserve banks in the different states. Um, they put in what they're actually seeing on the ground. So anecdata, as we would call it, it paints a picture um, of what's actually happening in the economy. Um, it can be a bit of a leading indicator of what might come next. Sometimes it's taken seriously, sometimes it's not. Um, it's basically, it assesses what's happening in the economy from what people are seeing rather than those official numbers. Why beige? Do you know what? I do not know. So there is nice because it's got sort of negative connoti- uh, connotations. What now, might be a it? bit dull? It's a bit beige, Why isn't is it? it? Okay, I'm going to Google it's that. A bit vanilla. It's a bit beige. Why is? What I mean, I'm assuming like? it's actually beige. Well, it's like kids only like beige food, don't they? Um, the colour is beige. It is beige. <laughs> Out of all the colours in the world that they could have chosen, hey, is beige even a colour? Yeah. Yeah, sort of a light tan. Is it? Okay, we'll take that. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Crypto exchanges making headlines down here at Abu Dhabi Finance Week as people get uh, different types of sign-off in the licensing process. We're going to speak to one um, that has been going through the process now to find out what's really involved. Because I thought, to be honest, once you've got a tick, you've got a tick. But it is not so. Rain got their ADGM license over a year ago, uh, but it's only just recently got the green light to become ADGM operational. They did that in August and just a few weeks ago for a full UAE launch. Here to put it in perspective for us, Ben Grolleman is the UAE general manager uh, for that a digital asset platform, Rain. Ben, it's lovely to see you again. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Brandy. So that sounds like a long process. I have to admit, I thought that once you got your license, which you guys did a year ago, you were off. Yes, yes, you're right. Being regulated is the long route, the hard route, I would say. Um, it is a thorough process for the right reasons. Uh, we are in an industry that absolutely requires that we mature and that we grow up. Uh, and going through the ADGM licensing is a process that is absolutely not an overnight process. Okay, so you got the license a year ago. What have you had to do since in order to be allowed to go operational? Yeah, I would even say that the process starts even before the license. Uh, The first contact we had with ADGM was in 2018. It was five years ago. Uh, You start with an application process that is a piece of work in itself, and you get a a license, which is an, an FSP license, a financial services permission, but that does not allow you to actually operate. Once you have that license, you then need to prove to the regulator of ADGM, the FSRA, that you have been able to build the capacity 
to onboard customers. And what, that, what does that mean? That means hiring the right people at the right roles that FSRI approves. It means implementing the right systems, the governance, the policies, the processes. It's a long process. It's a lot of back and forth with ADGM. And once ADGM believes you are ready, you can start onboarding customer in a progressive ramp up manner. And am I right in thinking that even after putting all of that in place for a year, they still could have turned around and said, no, Ben, sorry, not good enough. Absolutely, but they can do that any, at any point in time. If you do not comply to any of the rule books at any point of in time in the future, uh, FSRA can come back and say, well, actually, you are not compliant with the regulation and pull your license anyway. So it is a process that we're going to have to follow in the future forever, if I can say. How does this fit with the image of crypto as being a quick-moving, fast industry um, where you know time is everything when it comes to competition? Yeah, one doesn't exclude the other. Uh, I think that uh, the promise of speed is delivered by the crypto technology. Uh, that being said, it is not because you offer technology that gives you better speed in payments that uh, you can't have companies that are regulated and that operate in the safe sphere of what a government wants you to operate in. Do you think that what we have seen happen recently with Binance and yeah. with FTX is going to increase that process, is going to make regulation around the world, not just here, even more onerous? First of all, I hope so. But uh, second of all, uh, it is already happening. Uh, we have seen that companies like Binance or FTX, those very large scandals that have shaken the industry, uh, have created an awareness that it is now time as an industry to grow up, to mature, and to, and to start operating within the fears of regulations. And I think that there is a clear trend uh, to go down that route now for all of the players in, in, in the world, actually. Okay, well, there's been a number of exchanges of one type or another that have been celebrating licenses and yep. things. Um, at the Abu Dhabi Finance Week this week, big party for M2 the other night, eToro's another one, um, wider platform that's been given sign-off. What makes you different from then? How do you differentiate yourself? Yes, so eventually we all want to bring uh, digital assets to the broader world in terms of retail institutional customers. Uh, now we have a positioning in the market which is extremely different. Rain is a regulatory compliance risk management first platform. We value ethics, safety before growth. Uh, so we have a positioning in the market which is we want to be the lowest counterparty risk in the room and we believe that for retail customers that are starting their journey in digital assets or institution that are now looking into doing digital assets for the first time, it is extremely important to have a platform that ensures that safety. So we are a regulatory first platform. We do products that are very simple and clear to use and we have a huge focus on customer experience and customer satisfaction and that's what set us apart to the, to the competition. Okay, so what do you do to keep my stuff safe while you're holding it? Who's your custodian? Yes, so we also hold a custody license. So we custody the assets for you. Custody actually, Brandy, is an Im a very important topic in the, in the digital asset world. Uh, we are the only platform that custodies your asset one-to-one. -one. What does that mean? If you open a bank account today, 
A bank in the UAE is required by the reserve ratio of a bank, requires the bank to keep 7% of the assets that you deposit with the bank. 93% of the money you deposit with the bank, the bank is allowed to lend it out, to place it and invest it on your own, on their behalf. We do not. If you buy one crypto with us for a thousand dirhams, we will custody that thousand dirham digital asset for you and we will keep it in the wallets on your behalf. So it is a level of custody that has really never been seen in the industry so far. Does that not limit your own ability to, to make money, to leverage? Absolutely, it does. It does limit our, our ability to generate revenue as a firm, but we believe it is the way forward in terms of safety for customers and protection of customer assets. Okay, the one thing that's driven me crazy with different platforms of different varieties, the ease of getting money in and out. Can I uh, pop dirhams from a normal bank account into you and then pull stuff out and put it back into dirhams in my bank account? Yes, One and, that, step. And, that, and, and, that's the big, and that's the big change. Uh, getting into the digital assets world and out has always been complicated and cumbersome, slow and costly. Because we are a compliance first platform, because we have those level of securities, we have been granted a non-objection certificate by the central bank of the UAE to be able to open full banking uh, accounts in the UAE. So I'm glad to say that if you are a retail customer in the UAE right now, or institutional customer, you can instantly deposit dirhams into your Rain wallets or instantly withdraw dirhams from your Rain wallet and we're the first to bring that to market. And that is a big game changer for the industry. 20 seconds. Does all of this regulation, though, not impact the number of products that you can actually offer me that you have on your platform? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Uh, this means that uh, the number of products and services that we can offer are governed by our regulator. The regulation is new in the UAE, and the regulator is taking the right approach to it. We need to learn how to walk before we can run. Uh, so we are starting with simple products a very limited list of coins we do not do derivatives or we do not do staking for example for the moment uh, but it will come and i think it's the right approach ben grolamond is the uae general manager for rain it's a digital asset platform a crypto exchange if you will thank you very much for joining me this morning thank you just the highlights this is the bite-sized business breakfast matt stanley the energy expert um he works for kiplet they do an awful lot of number crunching uh when it comes to the energy industry uh he is the client liaison lead for well, this region and many others middle east africa and asia and he has been speaking to Mohammed Suleiman about the opec plus meeting uh it has been delayed uh we're going to find out what we might see today and also why it's a little bit late. Deferral of the meeting took the market by surprise. And that's what, you know, we saw Brent, um, you know, collapse just on the back of uh, last last week. We saw the, the market collapse on the back of uh, any conjecture within the group, any rumours of uh, of any negative vibes. It came back down. Then the next day, of course, there was an OPEC headline out and the market shot back up. So, look, some initial um, uh, concern for the market, but then, you know, OPEC, as they have done for the last three years, more or less, you know, calm things down and, and given that assurity, you know, that assurance, excuse me, about what um, what the group are going to do. Um, it, it, it's it's more to do with that the Saudis are, you know, as a de facto OPEC leader, 
Um, they're not going to take the sole responsibility. They can't take the sole responsibility for the whole group. Um, so they want others to possibly step in if the market requires it and needs a cut based on projections of forward demand. So that was the, the, the main reason. There was some um, disagreements within the group um, and the Saudis uh, sort of you know, took the, the ball by the horns literally and, um, and calmed things down and deferred it until tomorrow. Is there an element of stalling in all of this to see what's happening around the world as well? I, I think that's a very good question. I mean, the the irony about the about the the group is um, and has been since COVID really, when OPEC Plus got together, is essentially they are a lot more dynamic in how quickly they react to market conditions, and I think that there is an element of well, let's see. Let's see what happens if we don't meet. Let's see what the market reaction would be if there was a chance that there's any ambiguity within the group. And look, you know, prices right now, it's, um, it's, it's 20 past eight on a, on a Thursday, 82.03. We are on Brent right now. Um, yes. Okay. We're coming to the end of the month. So the market shifts, but you know, Feb, which will be the next contract when December starts on Friday, 81.75 largely around the same levels where we have been all year. The market's relatively stable um, and, and wholly relies on the group. The issue is, Mohammed, is if they don't do anything, that's the problem. So, you know, the, the stability sometimes in a market that is inherently volatile um, can be calm before the storm. That was actually my next question as well, is when they do end up meeting, uh, what do we expect them to do? Are we going to see more cuts? Are we going to see extensions? What do you think? Well, it's, it's, there's a couple of things. Um, when it comes to actual production, you know, that's always been something the group that's, the, you know, in terms of the agenda, it's um, the first first point on the agenda will be what did you commit to last month in terms of production and what did you actually produce? Um, and that compliance is obviously first and forefront. And the Saudis, the UAE, Iraq, you know, the GCC core have really taken the responsibility there. But, you know, Africa's... OPEC exports are at record highs, you know, you know, going back, well, since the group got together, OPEC plus the last four years. So that will be, that will be a consideration. I, 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 look, we, we made, and I said this to Brandy a few weeks ago. Um, we think that, uh, Saudi will extend their voluntary cuts of a million barrels a day until the end of next year. But what they would what they would do is they won't come out tomorrow and say we're going to extend it until next year. It's 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 a it's some leverage, right? Um, so that's a that's a card that the Saudis especially will play. Um, if the reaction to the ambiguity, like I said earlier, was that Brent was going to drop below say seventy five dollars a barrel, that crucial um, sort of balancing point fiscal budgets that the GCC GCC core rely on. If that was breached, you would see some extended cuts. I think, it, I think it will be a wait and see game, but I think the narrative behind it all will be, um, a lot more aggressive in terms of how they react if they have to, um, than it has been in the last few meetings. What does all this mean for the UE? What role does the UE have to play, um, in these big decisions coming up for OPEC? Well, look, this, this is another point as well. Um, there has, there was an agreement, um, with, within the group that the UAE from January would be allowed to produce more under the current quotas. So that will be something that will be, um, questioned and raised and, you know, COP28 starting tomorrow and Sultan Al Jabba, that, that would inevitably will be a question that will be raised to him. Um, but look, what it means for us here, the agenda is still very much a balanced one. 
and you know Adnock, the group have done an extraordinary job. So His Excellency Sultan Jabba leading that, leading the COP28 delegation, the presidency, the presidency this year has meant that the the argument is 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 hand in hand. You know, responsibility when it comes to environmental issues, but supplying the world with the fossil fuels that it needs. So the 20, 30, 5 million barrels a day production level is still very much on. Um, and, you know, the, the agenda there for the UAE in general is to maintain stability right now. Um, and that, and that's, that, that will continue to be the overall objective of, of the UAE, especially within the group. Finally, Matt, um, not long now until petrol price day here in the UAE. We saw cuts. We saw a drop in price in November. Will I yep. be paying more for petrol in December or not? Santa has got a lovely sack that he's ready to um, deliver to the UAE market. Look, I, it largely, joking aside, largely, like I said, Brent has been stable throughout this year. Petrol prices are largely um, where they were this time last year um, from, from a Brent level. I don't expect much change. If anything, there will be a small reduction um, but yeah, get in your V8s and get that demand going. That's probably be the the news from Vienna tomorrow. There speaks Matt Stanley, our COP28 delegate. Uh, indeed. From Kepler, talking to us about the OPEC meeting a little bit later on today. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Let's talk real estate at the moment. Uh, property continues to boom. It's been a good year for property in the real estate market. Uh, is that going to continue into 2024? Let's get the thoughts now with the Managing Director of Aspas Real Estate, John Lyons, who's joining us uh, live on the line this morning. John, thanks very much indeed for your time. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. Obviously, uh, all eyes currently uh, on Gaza uh, and uh, the news coming out of Gaza in recent days has been uh, the fact that we have seen a uh, cease in hostilities. Is that is that having an impact on the market here? Yes, I think it has. And if you remember when we spoke four weeks ago, we were pointing out the fact that at that time, the, the very concerning events in the region were, we thought, definitely having an impact on sentiment within the market. And we saw a lot of buyers putting their decision on hold. And at that time, I mentioned on air that we had a reduction in our buyer registrations of about 30% over that couple of week period compared to what would be normal for that time of year. But if we look now, since the, the ceasefire has taken hold and since there's a bit more calm in the region, um, we've seen a real uptick in activity. To give you some numbers, even in the first three days of this week alone, we've done 86% more business in our sales department than in the full two-week period prior to that. So it's been a real uh, resurgence of activity. And I think what that is is just buyers over previous weeks that just decided to wait and see They've decided just to come in and, and, and buy the properties and the, the transactions have now been taking place, which is, is obviously very encouraging. And It's at all levels of the market. We've sold several properties in the last couple of days above 30 million dirhams. And we've also sold other price points up to 5 million, 5 to 10, 10 to 15. So it's been good to see. Um, it's also, I, sp- I presume, you use that um, phrase, wait and see. Surely that's more evidence of a more mature market at the moment. Uh, days were, it used to be knee-jerk reaction, and if you weren't in the queue, you weren't getting the property, etc. The fact that people are able to hang around, wait and see, and make a more judged uh, decision on their purchase, is that evidence of uh, a, a maturing of the market? 
I think it is. And what's been encouraging for me is as I look at the transactions that we've done, just as I said in, in the first three days of this week alone, um, there's, there's only a couple that are actually speculative investors. The majority are end users. And in conversations that I've had with the brokers, my colleagues who are closing those deals, they are pointing out the fact that the buyers are still a bit nervous, mm. but they're buying anyway because they have a genuine need for the property. They're not buying for speculative reasons. They're buying the property with a long-term view in mind to live in it. And even some of those buyers are saying, this property may, they, in their mind, it may be worth less next year. There's that uncertainty in the market, but they're still buying. And that alone gives me confidence. The people who are buying are buying for the right reasons, and that's a good sign for the market. Coming towards the end of the year, John, a lot of people will be uh, travelling away from the UAE. A lot of people will be travelling to the UAE as well. Dubai Airport's expecting uh, heavy numbers, and I'm sure the same down in Abu Dhabi. Traditionally, is this, is this a buying time towards the end of the year, or do you see things taper off? For us, we see things get a little bit slower, but that's largely down to brokers in our own organization taking a bit of time off for a couple of weeks over the festive uh, period. Um, but the brokers that stay behind, they say that it can be some of the best two weeks that they have of the year. So I don't think that's indicative of the market slowing down for a couple of weeks. I actually just think we ourselves as an organization experience slightly lower levels of activity because a lot of people are on holiday. But there's lots of opportunity to close deals during that festive period. And as you say, there's lots of people in Dubai. So Dubai's on show to the, to the tourist audience, and some of them end up deciding that they want to invest here. Let's talk eyeballs, if we can, uh, because we know for a fact there are a number of new eyeballs on the property market across the whole of the UAE. We must mention that, given the fact that we are broadcasting from Abu Dhabi at the moment. We're down here at Abu Dhabi Finance Week. Property, real estate has been discussed at very high levels down here as part of the finance conversations. But equally, you know, we've met guests over the course of the last couple of days. One springs to mind from yesterday, um, a, a, a crypto a billionaire who'd flown in on his private jet to speak down here at Finance Week, uh, based out of Wyoming, first time in the UAE. Uh, he'd only been on the ground for 12 hours, but was already mentioning that he loved the place and was looking to invest here as well. With big events like this, obviously COP28 and other events to look forward to. Again, is this an eyeball generator? People come to the region for the first time, think about investing. Yes, I think there's no doubt about that. And it's great to obviously have these big events that bring in lots of people and it's bringing in the right people. It's bringing in decision makers. It's bringing in um, people who could set up here and become very economically active. And that's a good thing for the market to, to have what's going on in Abu Dhabi. And obviously with the COP as well, there's going to be tens of thousands of people coming here. And Dubai is a product. When people see it, if it's the first time they've seen it, they're very impressed. It's very hard to find someone that comes to Dubai and doesn't think that it is a product like none other. And there's a percentage of them that come back yeah. and a percentage of them that decide to maybe put down roots here, have businesses here or, or buy holiday investments or just investments. 
Well, I've got you, uh, John, and I know you talk about a lot about the Dubai real estate market. With good reason, you're heavily invested in that. But you give uh, uh, something of a UAE perspective. And we have seen a trend in 2023 with markets in other Emirates also uh, developing, maturing, and getting a lot of interest generated. Uh, given the fact we are in Abu Dhabi at the moment, given the fact we've been down here all week, how are you reading the Abu Dhabi market at present? I think Abu Dhabi is not a market that we have a very good understanding of, if I'm to be honest. We're so engrossed in what we're doing here in Dubai. But that being said, it's obviously not far. So we know that it is a very active market. And we know that there's a lot of our clients do have interest in Abu Dhabi. And we know that Abu Dhabi is a growing real estate market. So that's good news for the region. Um, it's good news for the UAE. And what's also great news for the UAE is the fact that you go the other side and down to Rack is also mm. a big news story. Ras al Khaimah has got a lot of activity going on in the real estate market at the moment. And in fact, there's a launch there today by Imar. And we've got, uh, we've got some, some investors who are hoping to secure units there. Mm. The question isn't, can we get buyers to buy? The question is, can we secure the stock? And that's what all real estate brokers are trying to do right now. They're trying to make sure they're at the front of the queue. 30 seconds left with you uh, on my segment. Then we'll hand over to Brandy in a few moments' time, John. But can't have a week go by without another big announcement. We got one this week, or a re-announcement, a mega project by Wassel, the island. Uh, is it going to be a biggie? I think it's incredible. It's a great news story for Dubai. It amazes me how when Dubai has moments of concern, like we've had maybe over the last uh, few weeks because of regional events, then all of a sudden the market comes back and you realize the underlying demand is there. And then on top of that, you hear of what I think is the biggest construction project to be to be announced since 2017. It's events like that that give you great confidence in Dubai and you realize that long term, this is a phenomenal product that's being built right in front of our eyes. Long may it last. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. We are continuing our discussion with John Lyons this morning, the boss of Aspace Real Estate. John, good morning. Good morning, Brandy. Good to speak to you. I'm stealing you off, Tom, for a few moments. Uh, to talk about numbers, you were talking to him about continued demand. And one of the things that has happened that is slightly unusual in the last month is that we have seen 10,500 off-plan transactions from September and October being added to the books posted by the Dubai Land Department. We have to say well done to Jean Jahinki on this one. Uh, he has been chasing down those missing sales uh, for a couple of months now, uh, and, and Property Monitor has, has come out with the figures first. But I'm interested in your take as a man on the ground about what they tell us about where the market is. Yes, I think firstly, I think you're right that Zan and, and the Property Monitor team have done a great job in sorting this quandary out because it was confusing a lot of us we do we use property monitor as our primary data source and it's a great way for us to get a deep understanding of what's going on in the market but we have to trust the data and they in turn have to trust the data that they're getting and they've done a good job of figuring it out and i would say i mean i need to put it across diplomatically but it's um it's a little bit of a mix-up that has obviously caused some confusion now at least we can sort that out and it shows that what confused us with September and October being significant reductions in off-plan activity actually turns out not to be the case. 
And these additional transactions that have now made it into the data set help to solve that problem. But we, we were reporting those facts four weeks ago, if you remember. If it's good, we report it. If it's bad, we also report it. And it didn't sound good. So mm-hmm. people can now hopefully go back into the history books if they listened to that conversation four weeks ago. And now they can hopefully um, realize that it's not quite as bad as it sounded. It's actually very good. October was a, was a good month, which initially looked like a bad month. Oh, yeah. I mean, if something's got to get revised, revised upwards is certainly preferable um, to the others. So what, coming out of summer, do these additional, I guess, October and September numbers tell us? It shows that the market in off-plan has still been incredibly active. And September and October saw high numbers of registrations of a could, which is the the pre-completion title deed for off-plan properties. So it shows a lot of activity, as has been discussed on the show by Zan and the Property Monitor team, um, there's a huge number of projects launched in the market already and more coming to the market. And we see continued demand for those properties. Like I said in the earlier segment of this show, we've got investors ready to buy in the EMAR launch today down in Ras Al Khaimah. And the question isn't, do we have the investors? The question is, can we get the stock? Is the supply there? And hopefully we will be able to get close to the front of that queue and get the stock but it's it certainly feels like the market is still very active and that's what caused us some concern i i thought that we were just doing a great job because our off-plan team was still very busy but the market was showing a slowdown turns out everyone's in the same boat we're all doing well so what are you expecting to see in off-plan launches for the rest of this year what are developers telling you that they've got ready to go I had a good conversation with uh, some developers over recent weeks and there's some exciting projects coming to the market in Q1 and they are certainly very confident that they'll be able to launch the properties and sell at um, attractive prices. I think prices now have got to quite high levels like I said four weeks ago but if, if, if buyers are willing to buy then that's where it should be priced and that's what the developers are doing. So I think we're in for a good start to 2024. We've got you for a few more minutes yet, John, and it is the first day of COP. So if everyone gets the sustainability bug over the next 13 days, what actually is available for them in terms of housing stock? How greater strides have we made in sustainability in the property that is up for sale or rent at the moment? Excuse me. I think we've probably made some improvements, but in the grand scale of things, I think we've got a lot of work to do. And I do hope and uh, and I do think that the developers will start working um, some of these, uh, let's say, greener technologies into their developments. Because in the end of the day, if that's what the public are looking for, then that's what will pr- be provided to give the product an edge. So I am hopeful that we will see more of that. That's just on a personal level. But I also do think that it will make sense going forward for developers to start working out how to find the edge and that will be an area maybe that the competition will be will be um will be fought um we see it with lots of other amenities the product now being offered to the market is much better than it was 10 years ago developers are coming out with great products and they're always trying to find out how to make it better and i think making more sustainable buildings will be uh will be an area where um, we will see improvements does it 30 seconds left with you necessarily mean more expensive buildings the buildings are more expensive and obviously it needs to be done in a cost-effective way. People, I think some people will be willing to pay more if the product um, you know, aligns with their, their interests. Um, 
buildings are more expensive now for one good reason as well, just to point out that a lot of the, the, the cost of construction is significantly more than it was 10 years ago. So where we do point, where we do see that um, the price per square foot is high, is quite high now in the off-plan space, the margins for developers are actually probably lower than they were 10 years ago, and therefore investors are actually getting quite a good deal, you could argue. John Lyons, Managing Director of Espace Real Estate. We'll leave it there on a good deal. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on the first day of COP. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.